guys, welcome to the GSM News Podcast. I'm Derek, I have Larry here with me. This week, we continue talking about Church of the Doom, and we're gonna give you the answer to postmodernism with only one word. But stick around, we're gonna get a word in from our sponsors. began to look at this letter to what we're calling the doomed church of Colossus by discussing what it means to be included in the Bible and who wrote the Bible itself. This week, we're going to get a little deeper into what was actually written in the letter and, and specifically what it's talking about and what it was written because of. And it's interesting when we look at this letter, Paul and those that were writing with him, they're making they're making this great effort to justify their teachings and they're doing this to get to this point that we're going to talk about today. It's just interesting because though they do this and they're not warning them, there's nothing in the, the epistle to this church that mentions impending doom, all of the end time stuff, all of the, the, the prophecy in the new Testament and the old Testament and everywhere else And yet they're writing this letter to this church that is in within years, if that is no longer going to exist. And not one word is mentioned of that. But what is mentioned as we jump forward into the second chapter is, is an interesting, an interesting dichotomy, an interesting contrast that we're going to read. So let's let's start reading. We're going to read from the second chapter of the book of Colossians. We're going to read verses three and four, and then we're going to read verses six through eight. If you want to read that for us, Derek. So Colossians two and three says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with a pl- with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See see to it that no man takes you captive by philosophy an empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. All right. So he's, he's giving us this, these opposing ideas. He's giving us the treasure of wisdom and knowledge. And then he's talking with delusions of plausible arguments. Okay. And First then all, can... those are, those are some very, I'm reading from the ESV and yeah, you know, I've, I've read this in the KJV a lot. Yeah. But when you're reading it in pretty plain 21st century English. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like the KJV, but I, I really like reading in the ESV because it, it actually uses words that I, you know, use and it, it, I find it helps me. And so like, this is one of those places it, it, I just, 
it's interesting to me that he he gives you these two opposing sides and one of them is the delusions of plausible arguments philosophy and vain deceit and on the other side is the treasures of wisdom and knowledge and and to me i'm hearing he's putting you know theology and doctrine right and then he's opposing it with philosophy and he's calling philosophy captivity and these things though they're so similar i mean if you walk into a, a university right their their philosophy department and their religion department are very very intertwined like and, yeah. i i i did a minor in religious studies it's the only thing I finished when I went to college. And <laughs> here's the thing. Like every single class was almost as much philosophy as it was theology. And I went to a school that was, that was actually directly related to a denomination. So it was a Christian university. We had on staff minister and everything. And so like, it was just, it was weird to me that everything was so steeped in philosophy. And it's because these ideas are very much alike. If we look at how they're defined, theology is the study of the, the study of God and religious belief. I mean, I would say theology is really just the study of faith, the study of our faith in God and, and who God is, right? Whereas philosophy is the study of the fundamental nature of knowledge, reality, and existence, especially when it's seen as an academic discipline. But the thing is, is what is the fundamental nature of reality and existence without God? Right? I mean, <laughs> when, when you think about it, you know, I, and I, I keep referencing this over and over again, just because it's some of my favorite scriptures. But that's just this chapter three when Moses is talking to the burning bush, which we find out is God, a manifestation of God. He says, I am that I am. And what we don't realize is that's a play on the, the name Yahweh. And if you look at the root word of Yahweh, it literally means I am to be, I, uh, pre-existing you know strong it pretty much anything that you want that's what god was say was literally saying he was and i know that's pretty basic but you you've asked like what is existence without god yeah and i mean john clearly defines that you know through him was everything made and without him nothing was made yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and that's kind of my point is that when we take philosophy and we remove God from the equation, well, we're coming at this from, I know God is real. I know that God is the creator of everything because I know him. And so when we come at philosophy and we look at a study of the fundamental nature of knowledge, of reality, of existence, but you're telling me that we're going to come at this from an angle of not including God, the reality is, is that philosophy itself is against God. 
when you use it that way. Because and it's about human knowledge. It's exactly. Humanism. It's humanism. And the thing is, is when you include God in philosophy, it becomes theology. And that's and, and that's the tightrope you walk as a historian. Because when you're studying Jesus, and we've encountered this on this podcast, where we want to look at the historicity of things. Yeah. And you got to walk that tightrope between, you know, is this divine? And if it's divine, we need to kind of put that over there. Is this just kind of normal everyday stuff? We need to keep that over here so that we can understand, like, what is that balance and where did the divine stuff come in? It's a balance. Uh, it, it's yeah, something. It very that... much is a balance because there's nothing wrong with thinking about the nature of reality of looking at what knowledge is looking, thinking about how existence exists. But when we try to do it in a way that eliminates God from the equation, that's a problem. But this goes beyond that because here's the thing. It's interesting to me that this, the, the writer of this, Paul and Timothy and the people who wrote this, they wrote it to a church that had so little future. And they write to them about these natures of things that are, are so very much the same kind of things that we're fighting today. And so I wanted to look at what they were looking at and what some of the predominant things that the church was dealing with in the first century and, and see kind of how it lined up. So in the time of this writing, the church was very much coming up against an idea in Greek philosophy that came over into Christian thought, which was Gnosticism. Okay, the Gnostics had a system of belief that was had a lot of major cults that were about it, and it existed immediately to the time of the early church and through the time of the early church specifically. Although, realistically speaking, there are people still today who are explicitly Gnostic in how they believe and how they think. Like this is not a philosophy that has died completely. So would we would we place this with pseudo-Arianism, where you have like the son being created by the father in time, not co-substantial and not co-eternal? I want to. Yes, it's very much related to that. <laughs> so Gnosticism, their main thing was that matter itself is evil. And God, yes, and God being good cannot touch existence is how the Christian Gnostics took it. I'm following that line of thought. Like I I see because that's very biblical on the surface. Yeah, we'll see. And that's the thing. I mean, let's go back to what they wrote. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments something that could present as true it sounds like it makes sense like oh god is holy god is holy 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 he's other 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 so he can't touch us 
Well, we he's, say that he can't dwell he's in He's too pure and he's yeah. too good and our world is too evil. So he won't have anything to do with us. Like it almost makes sense, except for God explicitly tells us that he makes us clean. And again, that's how theology, that's how the things that God says, faith opposes the, the idea that we're talking about. And so literally everything created is evil. So that means when it came into Christianity, they had a problem. Because you cannot have Jesus walking around saying, I and my father are one in the same. I am God walking around. God manifests in flesh to die for your sins and rise from the dead and say that God is too good to touch reality. So according to Gnostic Christians, Jesus is not deity. It's a very much, very heretical. Uh, yeah, he is a created thing that God then sends into reality to make a way out of reality, I guess, is a way to put it. And, and for anybody who's got like a doctorate in Gnosticism study or something, like, I know this is very simplified. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we're not we're not here to give you a rundown of Gnosticism. Yeah, yeah. So. I, I I I know that it goes much deeper than this, and it's very there's there's a lot of shades of different things in it, and you know this is very surface level. But 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 that's the, kind of what it surface. gets at is that the son the son has to be separate from the father because God the Father can't come in. Um, there are other flavors of this where like I know there's there was there was one cult in the early church that like the father was actually like Jehovah was actually evil. And Jesus was sent by the father that was good, who couldn't come into reality to do all. And it just, just, they get into some crazy nonsense. You know what? This sounds similar to, and I know Colossi was, uh, which around Turkey, I believe somewhere in there. Uh, it was, it's near, it's in that same area as like the seven churches. Okay. In Revelation. It's near yeah. Laodicea. Okay. So this sound, and I'm just, I'm maybe skipping ahead, but it sounds so similar to like some of the philosophical religions of the Far East. Very um, similar in the sense that you're seeking spiritual truth and as a way of in like enlightenment or yes. You know. Yeah. It is very similar because that's the other thing. So salvation to Gnostics came through the, and where the name Gnostic comes from, comes from the idea of Gnosis. Gnosis is an esoteric knowledge of spiritual truth. Here's the thing. Esoteric. It doesn't mean anything. It just means secret. It's a general term. It's a general term that just means secret. And what that means is that salvation, according to Gnostics, does not come through anything that is actually true or substantial. It comes through the hidden decoded message that only the true believers understand, even if that hidden decoded message disagrees with reality. And so what, in my head, as someone who hasn't studied on this and like, 
two years. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I hear this as Jesus came as like a basically a puzzle solver almost, but he when he did this, he kind of unlocked a piece of like the redemptive side of human of the human spirit. Yes. But they still could not actually connect with the father. But that, because they're still part of reality. They have to cross in they have to cross out of reality. Yeah, yeah. It's weird. Like there's there's no way. I mean, okay, to put it in modern terms, and we're gonna get to this, basically Gnosticism is ancient red pilling. Explain what red pilling is, please. <laughs> red pilling is what people who believe in groups like Q or like some far right conspiracy theories call it when they try to convert someone into believing their cultic beliefs. Which, Actually, which we yeah. will get into a little later, but basically it's. It's a term coming from the movie The Matrix, which will actually come into play very, very much in a few minutes, where Morpheus gives Neo the, Neo the option between two pills, a blue pill where he gets to stay in reality as he knows it, enjoy the lie that's been created for him, but never know the truth, or he gets to take the red pill and he gets to understand the deep secret truth that nobody understands or knows. And stuff i mean really everything in neo's life is worse when he takes the red pill except for he's a superhero now but i mean the world's awful it's already destroyed in the movie so basically you're just giving (laughs) someone secret knowledge yes it's it's literally just secret knowledge and the thing is is that that secret knowledge doesn't even have to be true it just has to be secret Uh, awakening your third eye you know, yeah, it literally is awakening your third eye. It's literally like the Eastern mysticism pulled westward and then it's implanted into Christianity but, by the Gnostics. But again, look, we've talked about how political movements have used Christianity, twisted Christianity for political gain. And I mean, you look around, we got, you know, Roe versus Wade overturned a few weeks ago. And or you know a couple of months ago and now it's both sides are kind of arguing the bible at each other and it's just insane like it, at, at what point do we actually just look at this and be like you know none of this is true what you're telling us like and i was telling larry like the more that i study this and the more like we do these deep dives, like the more my faith is deepened yeah. because I start uncovering things that are out in the open, things that you can freely find that it's not secret, but yeah, you know, like Paul said, we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when we go to heaven, we shall be known even as we are also known and we shall see clearly like, we don't know everything on earth and that's okay, but we have the word of God. Yes. Well, yeah. And that's one of the big differences between theology and philosophy, like the philosophy in this way is that 
it's not just things that make sense, but might be contradictory. And it's not just things that feel good, which we're going to get into too. It's things that are absolutely true. And thus they have to be fully coherent in their truth. You know, if I tell you something that is fact, like it's, it's kind of like when we judge the morality of how a person's acting, they have to say the true thing in the right way in the to the right people for the right reasons or it's not right like if i say truth but i say it in hate that's not good it's still bad yeah you can be right in the wrong spirit yeah and that's kind of what this is getting to is that everything has to be right or it's wrong and so this feels to me when i read about the gnostics i i just Faith and philosophy are so intertwined, and today it's the same stuff. But today, instead of Gnosticism, we have postmodernism. And it was really interesting to me is that when I started looking to postmodernism, I started seeing evidence of the opposite of what I think of when I think of postmodernism. When we think of postmodernism, we think of like quote unquote leftist woke ideas, right? Um, now, something we, that I thought of, this is like my simple-minded way of thinking, but I was thinking like kind of information age type stuff. Yeah. Philosophically speaking, that is not what this is. Postmodernism in this sense is a late 20th century philosophical movement. It actually started arising a little earlier because postmodernism is a response to the Enlightenment. We're in late stages of postmodernism. Okay. So basically, we're taking what Enlightenment did, which was kind of a revival of sorts. Yeah. And the Enlightenment was like hardcore, like absolute truth. And that's it. Whereas postmodernism is the opposite. Relative truth. Yeah, it's relative truth. So... People associate postmodern with, with leftist ideas, with being woke, with uh, like looking at, you know, victim, like helping people who have been victimized and evening triggered. things out, being triggered and, you know, all of this stuff. But that's not really all it is. Postmodernism is actually present in a lot of philosophical groupings in the modern world. So postmodern concepts, things that postmodernism shows, some examples of this, especially examples that I see in circles that I am due to being in church connected to. Okay. So one thing that I often see spoken of in circles that I'm in, or I, I, I hear, I've heard repeatedly and this goes back to that idea of the matrix that I talked about in red pilling is that hyper reality is a very, very big postmodern idea. Hyper reality is the idea that our consciousness is unable to determine the difference between reality and a quote unquote simulation. It's literally the, the idea that the matrix movie was based on. It's also if you see people in far right circles talking about how everything's a movie, that's literally the same idea. Everything being orchestrated. Yeah. Everything's a movie. Everything's fake. The world's a simulation. 
like everything's under control and we're all just being lied to anything like that. Anything that's saying that like what we perceive to be reality is not real. It's, is, it's amazing that you have one side arguing relative truth and you have the other side arguing everything is fake. Yes. That's amazing. Cause really both sides are arguing the same thing. I mean, it goes back to like what to what uh, <laughs> Pilate said to Jesus. Like, what is truth? Like it, but uh, and that's the generation we're raising. They're going to grow up with whiplash. Like, what is the truth? Well, yeah. So the thing is, the big thing that this does in in sense of God, right, is it creates a world where the only answer that makes no sense at all is the one that's true, which is God. And that's because, why so many because yeah everything pulls you away from God, and that's why you, you know you had the Scopes Monkey Trial, which yeah. that was in what nineteen early nineteen hundreds, yeah, uh, and a lot of that was a fear of getting away from God, uh, despite evidence, despite all that, and. Yeah. And not that I'm saying I agree with, you know, the totality of evolution. I'm just saying, like, both sides, they view themselves as competing in opposites. Yeah. But the, the and again, I mean, I, I get it. It's going to sound like I'm almost saying the same thing. But the reality of the world that we live in is that there is one ruler and anything that lines up with the absolute truth of what God says is in opposition, even if it seems like it's disagreeing with something else that's also in opposition to God. Because right. there is absolute truth. Like there's th th this whole idea that there's, you know, like secret realities is not so. But I think that's why Paul, when he's talking to the church at Col of Colossia, He's, I think that's why he's so adamant about this. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he, I don't, I don't know that they had any insight on what was going to happen to Colossi really, but the main idea is that when you start talking about vain babblings, old wives tales, that's where it starts. And he addresses that, I believe, in Timothy. And, and I'm sure he, a city that's destroyed every few decades or century or so probably has tons of old wives tales. Exactly. It starts there. But Paul is so adamant. He's like, look, even if something seems plausible, you need to do the truth test on it. Yes. You need to do the test of the gospel on it. Like it that's the that's the thing that I we're missing in this modern world because we so often run it through our version. Yeah. Not the biblical. We run it through our version of Jesus. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and, and because of that, we see that postmodernism, it refuses the enlightenment's rigidity of absolute morality. The Enlightenment in the West was very much a return to the church. It it was a it was a bunch of revivals and a bunch of you know the the Reformation was part of that and all of that. So it was a removing from 
the Catholic, nobody can know what the Bible says stuff into the Protestant. And it brought us to Pentecost. It brought us back to Azusa Street and all of that. Like this whole thing led to those revivals. Right. And so postmodernism pushes that all truth and morality is relative to situations and people. Your truth is different from my truth, and both truths are just as truthy as each other. And it sounds good because one of them are wrong. Because (laughs) the thing is, is the way that I understand things and the way that you understand things can be different. And both of them can have shades of correctness. And depending on the situation, it's possible both of them could be correct. But just because it's my conceptualization of reality does not mean that that's actually reality. Just because I feel that two plus two is five does not mean two plus two is five. And some things are absolute. Some things you are given (laughs) by your creator. Yes whether we like it or not. And I'm not talking about your rights. Yeah. So postmodernism, another idea of postmodernism is deconstruction, specifically deconstructing the oracles of power or the centers of power and the ideologies that shape discourse and belief. And this is where, when you hear people talking about deconstruction as a bad thing, This is what they're talking about. They're talking about postmodern deconstruction, where you're deconstructing the patriarchy and you're deconstructing all of the power structures of society. And you're deciding that all of those things were bad and you're opposing the absolutes that have existed. And that's not to say that, again, that's not to say that there isn't a small aspect of some of those things that can be true. But going back to what Paul said, we have to avoid the delusions of plausible arguments. And that's what deconstruction plays with. That's why when we talked about deconstruction in the past, we talked about how everybody deals with what that literally is when you think about it on some level. But when you take it to a certain point, it stops being normal and healthy and starts being unhealthy. And it starts being a way that you can seek reasons to not believe. But there's, here's the thing. Here's where deconstruction goes a little bit too far. You know, when I, when I was kind of going through that, I was in scripture, in history. I was trying to understand more so that I could be more informed to make a better assessment of who I was and what I believed. And what I hear from some, there's some very prominent people out there. Um, some of them are on YouTube and have millions of followers. Uh, where they allowed themselves to just not be a Christian for a day and see how they that's the problem yeah yeah that's where the line is like that's where you take it too far yeah and it's it's taking to this idea that there's no absolute because a postmodernism postmodernism at its core is the idea that there is no common denominator in nature or truth there is no absolute truth there is no possibility of a neutral or objective cause 
thought. Everything is based on the things that we have been told and influenced by. And so there is no absolute because based on my history, my truth is different than your truth is. And there is no absolute. And that just creates nothingness in the end. Yep. So, and, and it's interesting because again, I, I, a lot of this sounds like it plays into quote unquote American leftist ideology, but get this postmodernism is about questioning theology, science, and knowledge. Okay. <laughs> That's the opposite of leftist philosophy. They're all about science and knowledge, right? And so sometimes, sometimes, sometimes. well, yeah, when it fits them, but I'm saying like, I mean, when you look at universities and big science funding and all of that stuff, it's all that. So when we look at, there's, there's a, a postmodernist philosopher, his name's Paul Feyerabend. He stated that modern science is no more justified than witchcraft and has denounced the tyranny of abstract concepts such as truth, reality, or objectivity, which narrows people's visions and ways of being in the world. In other words, modern science is witchcraft. It's all a lie, and they're using that lie to push a tyranny of what they want you to think is reality on you so that you can't think for yourself. So where's... Where's the line on on that? Like that, because here's here's the thing. If you're saying that they're pushing a lie, where's your line? Yeah, is especially what? when it's something that they measured. Like if I, okay, so they took pictures from deep space and they measured those stars that are 13 billion light years away. And we know that light travels at a certain speed. So that means that the light we saw with that telescope is 13 billion years old because that's and, how light works. And again, okay? the, the, the reaction to that is often, well... Yeah, and, and now I'm not saying that the universe is actually 13 billion years old. However, if it's not 13 billion years old, it was created with light that was... 13 billion minus however long ago the universe was created away from where its starting point was on its way to us so that we can see it now. Yeah. Because uh, that's what that measurement means. Yeah. yeah. And so like to say that, well, okay. So and not that I've seen anybody say that that's a lie directly, but it's just, it's, it's one of those things where if you're saying, if you're going to argue that that's not possible, well, then how old is like, that's the distance that light is away. That's how light works. We can measure light on earth and how fast you can see it. So like it, it, it creates these questions. And so that's why I say it's interesting that both sides are the, the anti-vax groups are postmodern, just like, you know, the, the, the people that are supposedly pushing things like critical race theory are postmodern. They're both postmodern. They're both pushing the same ideologies that we can reject facts for how we feel. 
And that, and I keep saying, like, where's your line? Where's your line? Where's your line? Really, I should be asking, where's your balance? Yes. Where's, because, uh, you know, the the Bible, Proverbs, uh, I can't remember what scripture it is, but the Lord hates an unjust balance. He, you know, the weights of the Lord, like, when we're talking about Old Testament theology, weights played a major role in how people did business and doing them and having a false weight, you were basically stealing money from someone yeah. or robbing them of something. And that's why I said, like, where's your balance? Because mm-hmm. on one end, you're either robbing <laughs> or you're stealing from the other. And you don't want to be doing that because you get a little bit too much over here. Okay. Well now you're off into that deep end or you get a little bit too much over here. Well, now you're off into, into that left deep end. Where's your balance? Cause we're, and I said, like we're raising a generation that I, I feel like is going to ask what is truth because we don't have balance. Yeah. We don't have, you can look at the American political system right now, and, and I, I rarely talk about politics on here, but you can look at the American political system right now, and if you tell me that it is anything balanced, <laughs> com, yeah, anything balanced, I'm going to look at you and laugh. And that is a reflection of society right now. Our society right now is not balanced enough to deal with these questions and deal with what's happening and that's why true Christians the true worshipers who worship the Father and Spirit and truth have to have to rise up I mean what we are that balance we are that light in the world yeah yeah absolutely and <laughs> and, and and along those lines, it's interesting because postmodernism it dabbles in a few things that are very interesting to me. It talks about astronomy. Okay. So like how you feel according to the signs or according to whatever system of fortune telling that we've created it, uh, it wants alternative medicines and strangely Postmodernism likes creationism. Elaborate. So they, creationism rejects science. So if, if you're rejecting science and medicine and you're rejecting science in philosophies and going to astronomy, you're also going to reject science in creation. Sometimes. Well, yeah. So, I mean, and obviously we're not talking about like any sort of like actual biblical basis. We're talking about the people who are like, well, that measurement is obviously a lie because it doesn't agree with what I want it to say kind of style of this. Right. It's basically just doubting truth in every place. Postmodernism is all about 
esoteric and secret truths that are personal and only true to the person who believes them, whether they are actual reality or not. Postmodernism rejects absolutes and measurements. They reject statistics and numbers. They reject dogmas and moralities. It is all about my truth. And exactly everything that you're saying has happened in the last two years. And everything I'm saying is the stuff that the people who've been that have fallen into this in the last two years were saying before that is bad. Five years ago. And to be very clear, we're not talking about right or left. We're talking about both. Mm-hmm. Both sides of this are they're the same absolute. They're opposite sides of literally the same coin. And you can look at me and say, "Well, you're just a fence rider." Look, I'm gonna ride that fence all day if I have to. Oh yeah, because if it means that I have to reject absolute morality statistics, if it means that I have to reject any of those things, I'm I'm wrong. Yeah. But if it means that I have to reject my belief in God, I'm definitely wrong. Yeah, absolutely. So so what's the answer? Because in my view, I look at postmodernism and I'm just reading Gnosticism. Like it's Gnosticism with modern trimmings. It's the same kind of stuff. We're going to reject reality. We're going to reject what we see. And we're going to adhere to hidden beliefs that have literally nothing to do with reality because it makes us feel better. And so what is the answer to all of this? We promised you up front that we're going to give you a one word answer to postmodernism. But before we tell you the one word answer, I want to look at Paul's response because Paul brought this stuff up and And one of the things that Paul does a lot is he will lay out the question that his opponent or the viewpoint of what he's talking about, and then he'll respond. And that's what he does here. So we're going to back up to verse eight, and then we're going to read through verse 15. So if you want to read that, Derek. Yeah. Verse eight says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ for in him, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him. who was the head of all rule and authority in him. Also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Paul told the church in Colossus and and still today is telling us the answer, the answer to postmodernism, the answer to Gnosticism, the answer to all of this philosophy, all of this nonsense, all of these plausible realities is simple. It's one simple word, Jesus. That's it. That's the answer. Jesus is the answer. 
the under specifically the understanding of who Jesus is. Jesus is God manifest in flesh, come to earth to die for our sins so that we can be reconciled back to him. Jesus is. Jesus is that. And that we, through that act of Jesus on the cross, have been brought to a place where we can be filled with the spirit of God, who is the absolute ruler and the absolute authority of all creation. There is no such thing as moral relativism because there is a moral God who gave moral laws that are absolute and without question. We have been set apart by that God through the circumcision of Christ, buried in baptism and raised to life with him through our faith and by the Holy Spirit. And in this, God has erased the penalty of sin in us and given us new life. We stand debt-free and are able to stand against the rulers and authorities of this world that are in opposition to the kingdom of God. So to answer these ideas, we trust in Jesus. We trust that God is in control. And above all else, we stand in faith. The reality is, is that this whole Bible, everything that we read, either it is true or it is the oldest, largest conspiracy that is beyond a scope that is anything resembling reality. There is no other option. Because the truth and the connections that are in the Bible are beyond anything that is possible. Like, we couldn't fake it today if we wanted to. And yet here we have some fishermen and, you know, a couple other guys in the first century supposedly putting all of this together that's connecting with other writings that are 600 to 1500 years old already at that time, it makes no sense. There's too much truth. There's too much connection. There's too much absolute. Even beyond knowing God, even beyond being filled with the spirit, even beyond all of the things that I've seen in my life, just knowing what the word of God says, knowing what the Bible says is proof of the absolute truth that God is real and that Jesus loves us and died for our sins. You know, when I know we did Nehemiah with holy ambition just before this, and something that I found it was the episode uh, on Nehemiah chapter eight, where we're talking, where we begin talking about kind of you know the reforms. Something that I didn't include in there that I found because. If you read on it, they celebrate the Feast of Booths, um, and that simply they're supposed to go out and get leaves and branches and you know basically make what we would call tents in a way, but with leaves. And when I think about the that moment, uh, I was researching and studying, and this is this is why. This is either a thousand year plus conspiracy or it's the truth. This is why we say that. Jesus in John chapter seven, they're celebrating the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles, as some call it. And this feast in Jesus' time would have been, I believe, eight days. 
And John 7 and 37 says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, or the KJV says out of his belly, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive for as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Here's the thing. What the Feast of Booths was celebrating was wandering. It was celebrating God's provision in the desert. It was celebrating the Israelites in the wilderness needing to depend on God. All while searching for a home that they had been promised and their forefathers had been promised over 400 years prior. And Jesus, when he stands up on this last day, he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Jesus literally, in this instance, stands up, cries out. First of all, I want to, I say this every time when scripture says this, but the creator of the universe, the, the, the mouth that spoke creation into existence stood up and cried out. And said, if anyone thirsts, let him come after me and drink. Jesus literally proclaiming himself to be God in this instance. Because this, he's literally telling them, I am the provider. I am the one that gives you provision. Stop wandering. Stop looking around. I am what you're looking for. And... You know, we talk about this postmodernism and moral relativity and you know, relative truths. And you know, we said the answer is Jesus because of John chapter 7. You're looking for truth. You're looking, we're getting whiplash trying to figure out which way we're going here. The truth is, Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come after me and drink. Let him come. This is, we, we complicate the gospel. And look, uh, this is either a thousand plus year conspiracy that has been connected over 1500 years plus from Jesus' time. And then add on another 2000 years between us and Jesus. So we're looking at 3,500 years of conspiracy here. Or guess what? It's the truth. Yeah. And I'm very inclined to believe the more, and I say very inclined, I'm absolutely sure that the more that I study, the more that I dig in, the more that I do, that we do these, my faith is only strengthened because every single thing connects. Yeah. But when it comes down to the crux of it, you don't necessarily have to connect all the dots like we are and like I like I like doing when it comes down to it Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and said repent be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for this promise is to you your children to all who are far off even as many as the Lord our God shall call but guess what he did before that he brought up a witness against them and that cut at their heart. 
because guess what? Everyone knew that this man named Jesus had been killed just about 50 days prior. Everyone knew it. So he brought up a witness against them and it, it, the word pricked, he's, it, it says men and brethren, what shall we do? Because they were pricked in their heart. Pricked there literally means to be cut. It means to, you know, to violently agitate figuratively. It, so these people were literally in that moment, they have this witness brought up against them. And Peter says, I've got an answer for you. Jesus. Yeah. And I mean, let's be real. It's always the answer. What should you believe? Jesus. What should we do? Well, Jesus. What did he say? It sounds simple. It sounds so simple, but it's it's literally the gospel. Like literally, like all of this. It's all about Jesus. Everything you do, everything you say, every place you go, it's about Jesus. And every single time that we take a step away from Jesus, we are messing up. And that is why every single time someone comes at me with some indictment against the Bible, I just can't believe them because I know what I've studied. Yeah. I I know what I've, not only what I felt, but I know how all this stuff is connecting the more I study it. Yeah. And I'm telling you a lot, either, either these are some mastermind geniuses. <laughs> yeah. Which the Bible, the, the Pharisees and a lot of people called these disciples and these apostles ignorant and unlearned fishermen. Well, it's interesting too, because they say that, but they say that before things that we in the modern times are like, these are some of the best philosophical statements ever. And their response was, these are ignorant and unlearned men. And I'm like, okay, wait, it's not the words they're saying that made people say they were ignorant. It was the way they looked, the way they dressed and the way they spoke. Because there's no way that they said the words that they're, that are written here and that the Pharisees responded with, wow, these are ignorant statements because they're not ignorant statements. It was the way that they spoke that made them say that they marveled because they didn't look, they looked like country bumpkin preachers and who shouldn't have known anything, but that were standing up and giving them these things that were blowing their minds. And guess what? Most of the time it was simple stuff. Yeah. And most of the time it wasn't like this largely, you know, deep unfolding like Paul does. A lot of times it was Peter kind of standing up there and being like, David said this, and this is what that means when we apply it to Jesus. <laughs> That's literally what it was. And, yeah. you know, we're, we're talking about postmodernism and relative relativity and rejecting truth and rejecting to reject. I said earlier, we, you got to find some balance. Jesus is the balance. We, we got to stop swinging right, left, seeking whatever truth and, looking for whatever truth, trying to find our truth, trying to find their truth. There's only one truth and that's the gospel. Yep. 
Jesus is the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. If you have a question, turn to Jesus and stop messing around with everything else. And that's the answer. That's it. That is the answer. We told you one word. One word answers every philosophical question, everything that you could ever come up with. Jesus is that answer. And we will see you next week everywhere you get podcasts. Thank you.